Okay, so basically the subject that we're talking about is can women teach? And it's going to be a little bit difficult because this is the second part of a two-part thing. And we've been talking about women for probably about a month now and stuff. So we're, we're kind of picking up in the middle of it. So, and also I'm a little disjointed because I haven't got a lot of time to spend in my notes today. So, you know, it might be just a little disjointed and stuff. So just bear with me. But um, if you would, turn to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 2. First Timothy chapter two. Okay. Verse uh, verse nine. Or let's start in verse seven. Now we already talked a lot about the uh, the uh, what was going on in the church at Ephesus. Uh, Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy was in Ephesus at the time when he was writing to them. So we talked a lot about last time about just some of the problems that were happening in the church at Ephesus. Uh, before that, we had talked about the problems that were happening in, happening in the church in, in, in Corinth, which when Paul said, uh, you know, I want women to keep quiet and to ask their husbands questions when they get at home. And uh, so we've, we've talked a lot about that, but we just want to kind of pick up here in uh, verse 5. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. It says, for there's one God and one mediator between, also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Look at this in verse 8. Therefore I want the men, now Paul is speaking directly to the men right here, the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands. Look at what he says here, without wrath and dissension. So if you stop right there, so we know that when Paul is saying this right here, we know that the Ephesian church had a problem with the men with wrath and dissension. Okay? So the men were bickering amongst themselves. We talked about last time that... Uh, um, there was a lot of spiritual knowledge in the in the Ephesian church. They they had a lot of, a lot of knowledge, a lot of um, a lot of teaching, but there was also a lot of false teaching. There was a lot of spiritual deception um, all through the book of uh, Ephesians and Timothy. You read about people that were uh, leading other people astray with their teaching, and and so there was a lot of spiritual deception, and there was also a lot of pride where the the men were trying to show their knowledge against each other. They were trying to outdo the other guys, and it's like, um, you know, they were trying to show off their knowledge by, in the things that they had been learned, and the things that they had been taught. And so, again, when Paul says, I want all the men everywhere to lift up their hands and, and to pray without wrath and dissension, we know that he's not just saying, you know, hey guys, I want every man, uh, I want men in the churches just to pray without wrath and dissension. We know that he's saying this because there were problems with wrath and dissension in this church at that time. So when he's saying this, you can't apply that, say, say if you were going to a church now where, where the men didn't have problems with each other, there weren't problems of wrath, there weren't problems of dissension in the church, this scripture would not apply to that church, right? Does that make sense? Okay, 
So look at this in verse 9. Likewise, now what does the word likewise mean? The word likewise means in the same way. So here Paul is addressing issues, he's addressing problems, he's addressing uh, things that this church was dealing with and the men in this church was dealing with. And so he turns around in verse 9, he says, Likewise, I want the women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. So we already talked about last week that Ephesus was a, a, uh, a, uh, a wealthy city. Um, there was a, a there was a huge trade. If you go in the book of Acts, I think it was chapter fourteen. I can't remember which book it was, but it talks about how there, the Demetrius, the silversmith, there made a great living from selling um, um, basically idols to the to the goddess Diana. So there, the the uh, the city of Ephesus was an important city. It was a wealthy city, and so there were women who, because of their pride, and remember, if you turn to First John, all sin fits into three categories, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Every single sin that we as human beings have to deal with is going to be one of those situations. Even the Garden of Eden, when, when Eve looked at the fruit, it talks about she looked at it and it looked, you know, it looked good for her and, you know, and she saw that it would make her wise and all these things. So every sin that we deal with, if you think about it, if you break it down, has to do with one of those issues, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life. So these women, because of their wealth and because of their riches, they were flaunting that, mm. right? And we had talked about earlier how, how the early church, a lot of the people in the early church struggled because um, a lot of the businesses and to deal, say, like if you were a carpenter or if you were uh, someone who sold bread, most of the, a lot of the businesses were in guilds, like you would have the, the bread makers guild or you would have the carpenters guild or you would have the, uh, uh, the masons guild or whatever. And so a lot of times to do business in the ancient world, you had to be a part of those, that guild. It's, in some ways, it's kind of like the Freemasons today, but it had more impact on people's daily lives back then. Okay? So because of the fact that, that there was so much idol worship and the vast majority of the people that lived in, in um, these places were idol worshipers, it was hard for a lot of believers to make a living with their crafts in their trades. So in the book of Ephesus, we can assume that there were a lot of people that were hurting financially, and at the same time, there were these women that were dressing extravagantly and wearing their pearls and braiding their hair, and it was all about the outward appearance. And we know that we still have the same problem today. I mean, we, I think we all know women who all, everything is about their outward appearance. And if you get to know them, you see that they're a mile, a mile, you know, they're, they're really deep in appearance, but they really have no substance to them, right? And so Paul is saying to these women, I don't want you to be just about the outward thing. I don't want you just to be about your riches and your pearls and your dress and stuff, but it needs to be something deeper than that. In verse 10, he says, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. So again, Paul is dealing with a specific issue here. He says, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but, it, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, we, talked, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Um, the Greek language, and sometimes there are issues in translation, because it's just like when you're talking about in Spanish, where, where you're talking about 
say like hermano versus hermana, right? By that one little word, it mm -hmm. changes a it lot, changes right? Yes. Where, but if you weren't familiar with the language, <clears throat> then you you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know. Okay. <laughs> so the Greek, in some ways, is a lot like that. In that, when it's translated, some of the subtle changes we don't we don't really pick up on the full effect. Mm -hmm. So in this whole area, before Timothy is speaking about men in a general term, he's also speaking about women in a general term. But when he comes here, he says, I do not allow a woman to teach a man. Now, theoretically speaking, that could be speaking about a specific person, right? We don't know. And this is, again, this is the thing about trying to translate something that was written over 2,000 years ago. Because it was written so long ago, it was also written in a language that we don't speak. And so that makes it difficult for us to understand. Mm -hmm. And we talked about later, we talked about earlier that there is nothing that's God, I believe that God puts things in the Word of God. You know, Jesus, um, I was reading that in Matthew today. Whenever Jesus spoke to the people, he spoke to them in parables. And it says he never spoke to the people without speaking in a parable. And his disciples were, well, why do you do that? And he says, um, to them who it has not been given, um, basically he said, blessed are you because you, it's been given you to receive, to understand and stuff. And so I believe that God purposely makes things difficult uh, and even puts things in his word that are sometimes difficult, sometimes hard to understand because... Because of the relationship aspect. Does that make sense? Because he wants us to have a relationship with him. He doesn't want us just to read the Bible and just read it like it's just, okay, I read that and I read this scripture and I read that scripture and I read that. It's, he wants us to dig into it. He wants us to care enough about him and to care enough about knowing him that we're willing to dig deep and to see who he really is. Um, the scripture says that the, the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure in a field. And after finding that treasure, he buries it again and he goes and sells everything he has so that he can go and buy that field and obtain that treasure. Right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a thing about God. And part of it, too, is God loves for us to, as his children, to explore. It's in the same way as we in the natural. We, the first time your child be, takes his first step, you know, as a parent... You know, you love that. As a parent, you love the joy of discovery in your children. And I believe that God is the same way. And again, that's all relationship building. Yeah. You know, you, you get to know people through the trials and through the circumstances and through the, the, through the tough things, right? Mm -hmm. And so I believe that God puts it in his word to where things aren't just always at face value. Things aren't always easy for us because he wants us to dig. He wants us to... Put, you know, he wants us to pay a little bit of price to know him. And I'm not saying it's about our salvation or paying a price for our salvation or anything like that at all. But the thing is, is anything that's precious to you, you will, you will, you will invest in. Like the woman with the lost coin. Right. She searched, she had to search and search for that one lost coin. Yeah, and it's like David, when he was building the temple, uh, the tabernacle, people were giving him stuff. Uh, to build the tabernacle and he, he basically or people wanted to give him a plot of land and he said no he wanted to pay for it because he said I will not give to the Lord anything that did not cost me anything right 
And so in our relationship with the Lord, just like in our relationship with each other, there's always some give and take, okay? And again, as we're teaching this, I'm saying that this is my opinion on it, okay? What I'm doing is I'm trying to take Scripture and I'm trying to come to the most logical conclusion that we can come through. And that conclusion is not based on what we feel. That conclusion is not even based on what we want it to be. But that conclusion is based on, well, how does that tie in to the rest of Scripture? Right? Because that's what we interpret. We don't interpret Scripture by our feelings. We don't interpret Scripture by how, it, how we want it to be. We interpret Scripture with Scripture. Right? Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. So, verse 12. He says, But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, again, it would be awesome if Paul was right here and we could ask him, Paul, what did you mean by this? Now, he says, I do not allow a woman to teach, but we know over and over in the Word of God, and we'll look at some of the examples later, women did teach, and God allowed women to teach, and he, he never said women can't teach until Paul says it here in 1 Timothy. Right? But can I ask you a question? Do you think that was the norm 2,000 years ago? It was the norm. It was there in their culture. In their culture, right. But it, but also while that is true, I don't think that that's exactly what Paul was trying to say. And again, that's what we have to keep in mind is that there was a lot of, again, spiritual deception in the church of Ephesus. And there were people teaching and there were also, I believe, women teaching. And again, keep in mind, the women were uneducated. The women did not sit at the feet of the rabbis. The women did not sit at the feet of the teachers. And even when they went to the synagogue, the women were separated from the men. So the women are playing catch-up. And so I believe that in the church at Ephesus that there were women teaching false doctrine <coughs> who didn't know what they, they were teaching about. And I think that that's what Paul was addressing. And in verse... Uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard that they didn't even, most of them didn't even know how to read. That's probably you know, very true. They, they wouldn't have had to read. It's like even in this country, it's even in this country during the pioneer days where the men were went to, you know, further their education, but the women never did that. They stayed on the ranch and they basically had kids and learned how to take care of the, the family and stuff. And, uh, you know, they, they didn't, they weren't educated because it wasn't expected of them. Even in our American society, yeah. it was not expected for women to be educated and, you, you have to understand that in the 1800s, if you saw a woman in a, in a school, in a college, you know, it would have been abnormal, yeah. right? So same thing in their culture, but even worse. But in uh, verse 13, look at what he says. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, we know... That in most places, the fall is blamed on who? It's blamed on Adam, actually. Adam, the Bible talks about, and we have all sinned in the, uh, in the transgressions yeah, of Adam, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, it says, look at this in verse 15. But women will be preserved to the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. With self now, Eve did not deceive Adam, did she? I mean, Eve, the, the tempter she came, he tempted yeah. Eve, she was deceived, and she gave to the man, and he ate, right? Right. Okay? Um, 
in the Bible, in most places, it blames Adam for the fall. It doesn't blame Eve. And here's, here's the thing that I'm getting at. Men have their strengths. Women have their strengths, right? Um, men are physically stronger, right? It's like the whole thing where, where you hear, I hear it all the time. Well, a woman can do anything that a man can do. Well, that's not true, right? Now, or, or you hear people tell kids, you can be anything that you want to be. Well, that's not necessarily true either. Because as a kid, I sucked at math. I still do. I'm terrible at math. And so I could never be a rocket scientist no matter how much I wanted to be. Okay? Because I hate math. I'm not good at it. And so there are limitations on what people can do. Women, just by the way that they were created, cannot physically do the things that a man can do. Just as, a, as an average, right? Some women are really strong. There are women who break, who are an exception to the rule, okay? Um, but men, like, we couldn't have babies because we are babies, right? <laughs> we, we don't have the pain threshold that a lot of women do. Mm -hmm. And so my point being is that women have their strengths, men have their strengths. Um, and I think that men tend to be, just as an overall thing, men tend to be more analytical than women do, right? And so it's the strength of men many times to be analytical. It's the strength of men to be able to make decisions based on um, analysis and things like that, whereas a lot of times women can kind of fail at that. And I'm not, uh, these are broad generalities, okay? However, some women are exceptions to that. Some, like, just an example. We were sleeping in, in, in our beds one night, and we hear this loud crash, right? <laughs> and so we hear this crash, and Amy's like, all, all I can hear is Amy going, oh, my God, oh, my God, what are we doing? And she's, I hear her bouncing off the wall, literally running into the wall. And she's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I'm like, calm down. And... <laughs> And we, ne we actually never found out what, what the crash was, but then the next day we came and, and we looked and there was a chandelier that had fallen and broken and stuff. Um, <coughs> another, another situation is uh, we lived in a bad part of town in a different town, and these people were trying to break into our house. We kind of lived in a drug part of another Matter of fact, there was a crack house across from our house. And so these people were trying to break into our house, and, and so I hear them, right? And so I get up and I put on my pants and it's very like, and I can hear Amy. She's like, "Oh, my, what? What?" Are and so and so like that very day I had bought a gun. So this this is kind of a weird story. Anyway, so I hear the noise going on and and and, and it was actually our kids' bedroom. Our kids were toddlers at the time. So I get up, I put on my pants, I go in and get the gun out of the closet. I put I load it. And I walk into the, I walk into my baby's rooms, and I see the guys cutting the screen on my window, Ooh. right? And so I just, I pointed the gun right beside him and shot through the wall. He right used beside to be him. an expert marksman in the Marines, so he knew he wouldn't hit him if he, yeah. Wow. But, yes. but I shot in the wall right beside him just to freak him out and stuff. <laughs> and in the other room, I hear Amy go, "Oh my God!" And she's all freaking <laughs> out and stuff. And, so, and, and the only reason why I say these things is, again, men had their strengths so they and ran. women had their strengths. They yeah, they're, they're gone. And we had a dog at the time, and, and the dog's like running along beside them and stuff. I, I think they had bribed the dog or with food. Like, had gotten the dog. We, we got rid of that dog the next day. 
but, but the point being is that in that situation, I was completely calm. I was completely under yeah. control. And I, I just, I analytically just thought about the situation. I went and I addressed the situation. And my point being is that a lot of times, and again, women have their strengths too, but sometimes in high tense situations, sometimes women are led by their emotions, whereas the men can sometimes are led by their uh, by being analytical. Now, obviously, this doesn't apply to every woman. It doesn't apply to every man. Some women, some men would be freaking out too. And and also, it doesn't apply to every season because there's been seasons in our marriage where I've been very analytical and. You've been going on your emotions, and yeah. I've said, "Look, like you're you're leaning on your emotions, right. and not what the what the word says." And and so it's neat because it's kind of a mutual submission, mutual listening to one another, and yeah. and stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I go along that whole path just to say this. I think that what Paul is saying here, when he's talking about how Eve was first deceived and then the man and stuff, we know. That Eve wasn't any more guilty than man than Adam was, right? Matter of fact, Adam was more guilty because Adam was the final responsibility, right? right. As the as the as the man as the head and stuff. And actually, next week we hope to talk about male female relationships and the headship and authority and all that kind of stuff. But can I ask you a question? Yeah. In my opinion, I think it was just going to be a matter of time, because if you have a devil inside a a a, a perfect guard. Garden, right? mm-hmm. garden, with two innocent, freshly made human beings that are pure in their thoughts and everything. I mean, the devil is very conniving. Of course, yeah. it's just going to be a matter of time before he yeah. he entangles them into believing like do this or do that right. mm-hmm. because there, there's no sin in them. They yeah. they have no they have no knowledge of what good and evil is. Right. Yeah. So we don't know the length of time. Because right. right. for all we know, Adam and Eve could have been in the garden for 500 years mm. before the devil said, oh, this is what I'm going to do. Mm. You know? But the, you know, the beauty of that, though, is that Christ was the restoration of that. Yeah. Right. When Christ came, the Bible says that he laid aside his Godhood, so he faced temptation in the same way that we were, and the devil came to him yeah. and tempted right. him. Mm. And whereas the devil tempted Adam and Eve just the one time and they blew it, he tempted right. them three, him three times and he passed the test every time yeah, and yeah. stuff. And so, that's awesome. so yeah, that's, that's the restoration, that's cool. the redemption of it and, so and all cool. that good stuff. Because he was stuff, like the so. second Adam, so he was yeah. tempted. Yeah. So. Says he but was tempted he in the same way as we are, yeah. yet did, without did sin. Did he have knowledge at a moment that he was divinity? Well, and I... Can, and, well, that's he knew he was divinity. He knew he was God in the flesh. But I believe that he laid aside his powers. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Okay. And that's why it says he was tempted in the same way. Right. And that word, the Greek, and that the same way means exactly like we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was without sin, and that's why he can be a savior to us. Right. You know, it's like that. We we talk about it a lot and stuff. You guys have heard it a million times. But you know that song, "What if God was one of us." And yeah. you listen to the words of that song, and it's it's a it's like really kind of skeptical. It's like basically the the what the person is saying is like God, you can't understand what it's like to be me. You can't understand what it's like to walk in my shoes with my failures, my weaknesses, my all this and stuff. And and the thing about it is, is Jesus did, yeah. and God came down 
from heaven and walked in our shoes and experienced every weakness, every temptation, just like we do and stuff. And yet he passed every test and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, so, all right, <laughs> moving on. I have a question. Yes, ma'am. Um, so, I don't know if I remember this right, but um, does the word, like the Greek word for have authority over in that particular sentence uh, refer to domineering? Because I thought I read that somewhere. Yeah. And, like, if that were the case, like, is it talking about, like, a specific woman, like, trying to, like, right. teach and shove a specific doctrine? Yeah. Yeah, and I think there is an aspect of that, too. And and so, and that's the thing. And when, so, and again, Paul's not here, so we can't ask him. But again, what we're trying to do is we're trying to lock all the scriptures together into a cohesive whole where they make sense because... The Bible's not going to say women can teach and allow women to teach, and then all of a sudden the Bible says women can't teach, yeah. right? And so like we talked about before, if there's a misunderstanding, it's not with the Word, it's with our understanding of the Word. Yeah. And so what we have to do is, and it's not going to be perfect, right? Yeah, what we're doing is we're just trying to come to the best per, uh, best solution that we come, can come to. And what we're doing is we're not taking our own ideas. We're not taking our own preferences. We're taking what the rest of the Bible says, and we're trying to just build as strong a case as we can. And because we're imperfect humans, we may get to heaven one day and say... Dean, Amy, y'all had it all wrong, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which is very likely. It's like we're, t we're taking the best, the best possible conclusion, but we could certainly be wrong in many things. Yeah. So um, look at verse 15. Um, so it says, But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity, sanctity with self-restraint. Now my question is, Okay, if we take if we're going to take this scripture at face value and say women cannot teach in the church, then we got to take this scripture too and say that women the only way that women can be preserved is through the bearing of children. Now, what about women that can't have children? Right? You know, and the, and not only that, but doesn't that make it work salvation? If the only way a woman can be preserved, the only way a woman can be sanctified is through bearing children. So I think that what, what is going on, again, Paul is addressing their particular situation in their particular age. And basically what happened is the women didn't, they weren't like the women in the, in the 21st century. The women did not work back then like the women do now. <coughs> right? Right. The women, what they, I mean, what was expected of them and what the women did was they married and they had children. Mm -hmm. Now we know, because we looked at it last week too, that there were a lot of the single women that were going about as gossips, as, as talebearers, and as busybodies and stuff. And so Paul is also addressing this situation and he's saying, basically, these women need to get married. Okay, now if Paul were here right now and right uh, today, he might say say it in a different way. He'd say, look. You women need to stop going around wasting your time. Stop gossiping. Stop being busybodies. Stop poking your nose into everybody else's business. Stop teaching people falsehood, but rather go out and get a job, right? 
Go out and get married. Do something productive with your time. Do something that glorifies God, that, that is beneficial and helpful to the kingdom. Don't just sit there and waste time and be gossips and busybodies and, and waste time and be a hindrance to the things of God. Does that make sense? So to me, that makes a lot more sense and to, to what Paul might be saying. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I just want to read this again in Acts chapter 2, just so we don't forget. It says, but Peter taking his stand with eleven, and again, this is immediately following Pentecost. He said, he raised his voice and declared to the people, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will pour out my, I will pour, in those days I will pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, again, in verse 17, Peter says, um, he says, this is what was spoken through, through, through the prophet Joel. So he was saying, when the, at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the, in the early church, in, in the first century, he says, this is that. Yeah. So in this, women will prophesy as well as the men. Yeah. Okay? Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, 1 Timothy, verse 1. Or chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Uh, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace. Um, from, oh, you know what? I'm in the wrong place. Okay, where is it? You guys know where the scripture is, where Timothy was taught by his mother and grandmother? Oh, okay. It's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I said 1 Timothy, huh? I do that a lot sometimes. By the way. 1 Timothy 1. Okay, so if women aren't allowed to teach, again, where do you draw the line? Does that mean that women can teach kids under a certain age? And if that's true, what age? Where, where does the age cut off, right? Um, worship... You, you gave a lot of instruction through worship. You know, lift your hands and worship the Lord, We you know, and stuff like that. If women can't teach, then they can't do that, right? So where does it, where does it cease? And in 2 Timothy 1, verse, uh, verse 5, he says, For I'm, Paul is talking to Timothy, he says, For I'm, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. You see that? So Timothy was taught by his mother and his grandmother. And we don't know how old Timothy was when that happened. We do know, and we know with certainty, that Timothy the man was taught <coughs> by two women the gospel. Okay? And Paul said that they taught him, right? So it's not like you can kind of skirt around that and, well, they shared with him and stuff like that. Sorry to be controversial, but it doesn't say that. <laughs> it doesn't say that. Okay. Okay. 
And one Thank could you. also argue that it was his mother right. and his, to be the devil's advocate, if you will, it was his mother and it was his grandmother, so one could argue that that was the, the rightful place to Okay, teach him. well that's the thing. Okay, if a man can't teach a woman or if a man can't, te or if a woman can't teach a man or if a woman can't teach at all, then is it their rightful place? Okay. Right? And is there any scriptures that say that it is or it's not or when it is or when it's not? One thing that we know is that women taught a man mm -hmm. and they taught him the gospel. Whether it says taught or not, we know that they taught him. Yeah. Um, let's look at some other scriptures. In, we know um, in, uh, uh, turn to Exodus chapter, oh wait, wait, ex, yeah. I'm just going to list off some stuff. We know that Deborah in Judges 4 and 5, she was a judge of the people. Now we know if you go and look at the book of Judges, all the judges were people that um, they were like Samuel. The people when they needed wisdom, when they needed a voice from God, when they wanted to hear what God was speaking, they would go to the judges, right? The judges weren't just people that were there for battle and led the people in battle. They also taught people what God was speaking to them. I'd like to read that, Judges uh, for chapter four, verse four. Mm -hmm. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now she sent and summoned, so she, she was in the place of judging both men and women. She was uh, appointed by God, and she was a prophetess, and she summoned people. So she summoned Barak, so she was basically leading men, and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded. And then, so therefore she gave the Lord's instruction to Barak and told him what he needed to do. Yeah. Uh, turn to Second Kings chapter 2. Now, there were only, like, I think seven judges and stuff. And so these judges in the Bible, what does the Bible say in the New Testament? It said, doesn't it say that all authority is in place from God? <coughs> right? And so we have to assume that her authority was from God because God backed her in everything that she did too. God allowed her to defeat the enemies. God was all for her and stuff. Um... In 2 Kings chapter 2, now over and over in the, the Old Testament, you see where the people's hearts drifted away from God and God would uh, allow them to be punished and, and their hearts would come back to Him and, and the people's hearts would just, just kept going back and forth from Him and stuff. And golly, I got another wrong scripture reference. So. Anyway... And uh, there was a prophetess named Holda, and the people of God had gotten so far away from God that they lost the scriptures. And so there was a king named Josiah, and his heart began to seek the Lord. And as a result of that, they searched out the temple and they found the, the scriptures. And there was a prophetess named Holda, and she told them to read the scriptures and, and to learn from the scriptures and obey them and things. And so, again, all throughout the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament, in Acts 21, verse 8 and 9, it talks about Philip the Evangelist and how he had four daughters that were prophetesses. Um, <coughs> and so, God has used women... 
And again, there is no other place through the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, where God says women aren't allowed to teach. Okay? Did you say that one lady was Holda? Holda. H-U-L-D-A-H. I got the wrong scripture reference, but I can find it later. So, now turn to 1 Corinthians 14, because we talked about women prophetesses, right? 1 Corinthians 14. Like I said, I didn't get a lot of chance to look over my notes today, so this is kind of jumbled a little bit. 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to see what prophecy does, because we know that there were women prophets, right? And in verse 8, it says, If the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So you, so also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken, for you will be speaking into the air? Now, basically what Paul is addressing here is in the, in the, in the church of Corinthians, everybody's speaking in tongues at the same time, okay? And there was no one that was interpreting the tongues, and it was just mass chaos. And Paul is basically telling them, this is fruitless. So in verse 10, he says, There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If I then do not know the meaning of the language, in other words, tongues, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. So when you read the book of Corinthians, Paul's whole intent, Paul's whole desire for the church of Corinth is that they be edified. And there's a lot of spiritual things going on, but people weren't being edified. It's just chaos. And they, they were spiritually gifted, but they, they weren't using your, their gifts in a way that would edify each other. Matter of fact, they were using their gifts in a way that would make them look like they were gifted. Right. Okay? Even Jeremy actually preached on that. Like when he was preaching on the Holy Spirit, do you all remember that? He was talking about how they they were majoring on the gifts of the Spirit and not God himself. They were like over-exaggerating on having the gifts and operating in the gifts. So mm-hmm. it was a really good teaching. Good. Okay, so verse 13. Therefore let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Again, he's talking about edification. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind's unfruitful. What's the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you're saying? Um... Look at verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the language, in the law, it's written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not for those who believe, but to those who, who are unbelievers. But look at this. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but those who believe. In other words, the church, right? So prophecy was given to the church for edification. So when women prophesy, they are they are edifying, they are teaching, they are instructing. That's what edification is, right? Verse 23, Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he's convicted by all and he's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed so that he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. This is what prophecy does. 
It exposes the heart and it shows that God is among you. When someone prophesies, and there's so many, so many different functions of prophecy. Prophecy can be foretelling, telling the future and stuff. Prophecy can be preaching the word. When you say the things that God has said, you are prophesying. When Mary did her, uh, what's called the Magnificat, and she said, My soul glorifies the Lord who has, who has sought the humble and the meek, and he has exalted the humble, and he puts down the strong and stuff. She was prophesying, right? And so, um, go ahead. Very good scripture, verse 31, same chapter, it says, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be exhorted. So prophecy also taught, and it was also an right. encouragement of exhortation. Right. So by, by hearing prophecy, we both are encouraged and built up, but we also learn. Mm -hmm. So that would mean that, I guess, prophecy is also, it can be teaching in some... Yes. In verse 31, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. In other words, some self-control there. For God is a God, not, not of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Then he says, women are to keep silent in the churches for they're not permitted to seek. But in chapter 11, he says women can prophesy as long as their heads are covered, right? right. So where is the confusion? Right. Is Paul saying here, that women can pro cannot prophesy, but he was saying earlier that women can't prophesy. Right. What is the basis? What is the understanding? Again, we do all things so that people can be edified. Right. In other words, everyone's trying to prophesy at the same time. Women are trying to prophesy at the same time. And everyone's doing it out of order. Mm. And that is the main function. That is the thing. You know, it's like with any rules. Rules and just like the law. It, rules are made, the Bible says the law was not made for believers, but for unbelievers, right? Because if you're a believer, if you're obeying the laws, if you're obeying the rules, you don't need a law that tells you not to murder someone, right? So laws are for unbelievers and stuff. And um, I'm That's not sure. Kind of, where, kind of where you're going with that, I think, is like if, if, if you're, for example, if, if your children are pretty well behaved and your house is you know fairly peaceful you don't have to have a bunch of rules but if your children are like crazy and they're bouncing off the walls and they're jumping on the couch and they're screaming at the top of their lungs you, you're going to have to establish some rules in the house so they know how to keep the, the house at peace and in order but if they if they're already in order if they're already being respectful and they're keeping their voice down and they're not jumping all over the couches <coughs> and everything then you don't necessarily have to have this list of rules because right. they're obeying from the heart. Yeah, so I'm not sure where I was going with that, but yeah. Something really clicked, what? like, whenever you said, like, everything's for edification, because, like, what's edifying to one culture is going to be different than what's edifying to another culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then something else was, um, like, you know uh, the story about Priscilla and Aquila teaching yeah. Apollos? Yeah. And we're actually going to talk about it. Oh, good, good, good. You go, you go. go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. If no, we're going to talk about it. No, no, no. Okay, okay. Okay. Um, well, because, like, um, basically, like, the, the um, usually when they listed people's names in order, it was by priority of who had, like, the, the main. Right. Especially like in a couple, like it was 
you know, typical for the male to be mentioned first, but in most of the times that that couple's mentioned, it's Priscilla is mentioned first. Mm -hmm. I want to say she's mentioned first in like five times in the, actually. In the teaching part, but I don't really yeah. remember. But maybe not. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're yeah we'll, we'll talk that about today. that in just a second. <laughs> and I'll, I'm going to read this in Micah chapter 6, verse 2. He said, Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against his people. Even with Israel, he will dispute. My people, what have I... This is God speaking to his people. He says, My people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Answer me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you, now he's talking about the leadership, right? That God provided himself. He says, I sent before you Moses, Arian, Aaron, and Miriam. You see that? So God is saying that he sent a woman to lead these people. Yeah. Right? Where is that again? In Micah 6, verse 4. Where's Micah? Micah is in the Old Testament. It's right after Jonah. It's on page 1,118. It's right before Nahum. And there's a handy table of contents in the front of your Bible. So while Amy's looking at that, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 16. Can you just emphasize it again, though, like what you were trying to say about that? Well, you talked about how he sent... In the, in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, he sent, uh, to lead his people, he sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, okay. In other places, it talks about how Miriam was a prophetess. Okay. So. <clears throat> now, now we're going to Romans what? Romans 16. I'm just going to kind of, we, we know Paul wrote the book of Romans, right? So we're just going to kind of pull out some things that Paul said. In Romans 6, verse 1, Paul is speaking to the Romans. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant. Now that word servant there in the Greek is the same exact word as deacon. Right? There is no differentiation between this word servant and deacon right here. So Paul says... I commend to you our, our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon of the church, was a Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Now, Paul, listen to what Paul is saying. He's saying, I commend to you Phoebe, Phoebe, a deacon in the church, and I want you to receive her, right? So it's not just like this woman's just coming to visit a church, you know, because Paul wouldn't say that about just anyone who's coming to visit the church, but he's talking about someone who is involved in ministry. Right? He says that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you for she herself has been a helper of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, just like you were saying, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. So Paul says Aquila is my fellow worker but he also says Prisca or Priscilla is also my fellow worker and just like you say right there he listed Priscilla before Aquila and in the ancient times whenever the first person was listed whenever you were talking about a couple people the first person was the person of importance just like if you go out in the book of Acts when uh, Paul and uh, Barnabas were going out 
when it first starts talking about him, it starts, it talks about Barnabas and Paul. Because at that time, Barnabas was the one that had the most authority. But as Paul began to mature and Paul began to grow in the faith and Paul began to get his spiritual wings about him, it spoke more and more about Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy, right? And it's just like you say, people put importance on the, on the, on the person that they deem to be the most important. Even like me and Amy. A lot of times, most people know us, most of the people that know us, because I'm usually pretty quiet, and she's outgoing, and everyone, and she's all like, miss, like, I can't think of what I'm trying to say, but she's all, she's the person that like goes out and meets everybody and wants to get to know anyone, and she's all like happy to meet people and stuff like that, and I'm always kind of like, I'll, I'll just sit over here and do my thing and stuff. So most people that refer to us, they refer to us as Amy and Dean. Amy and Dean, yeah. Right? It's Jim. Right? Why? Because she is the one that's out there. I'm not, I'm just saying that you are the one that's recognized because, you know, you're more out there and I'm more reserved and things. And so, but it's just human nature to do that. And in the same way, when Paul was saying Priscilla and Aquila, he was recognizing her because she was the one that's out there. Right? He says, greet, in verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Again, he says they're fellow workers, not just Aquila. Aquila's not just my fellow worker, mm -hmm. but they both are. Who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. So they also had a church wow, in their house. Church, he didn't yeah. say greet the church that's in Aquila's house, Right? He says, also greet the church that's in their house. Greet Epanius, my beloved, who is a first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who are also in Christ before me. And I think a lot of people say that Junius could have very well been a female. Yeah, um, because like Junius actually wasn't really a name back then mm -hmm. like or i mean it could have been but not a very popular one but junior was like way more popular mm -hmm. so it's like way more likely yeah oh way more likely what i missed that that junia is is a female apostle oh. because oh. the name Junius like kind of wasn't used right oh. and then uh turn to first corinthians chapter one Okay, in First Corinthians chapter one. Okay, and um, let's see, verse eleven. Paul says for. Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. He's writing them, again, addressing certain issues. He says, for, I've been for, um, for, for I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. But what I want to look at is in verse 11, he's talking about, I've been informed by Chloe's people. 
Chloe, again, was a female and stuff. And so she had a position of authority that were, inform that were informing Paul of certain things that were going on in the Corinthian church. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, kind of looking for my... Turn to Acts chapter 18. So now, <coughs> keep in mind, this is the same Paul that says, I do not allow a woman to teach. Now, we all already saw that he referred to women as apostles. He talked about the church that was in Aquila and Priscilla's house. He listed Aquila before he listed, uh, um, or uh, Priscilla before he listed Aquila. He, Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned seven times in the New Testament. And five of those times he mentions Priscilla before Aquila. And so, again, these, these are things that you can say, well, it doesn't matter, it's not important. But for them, it was important. For them, it mattered. And uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 18, verse 23, it says, Having spent some time there, he, Paul, left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man came to Ephesus. And again, Ephesus is the place where Paul was, or I mean Timothy was, and Paul is writing these things. And he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Now, okay, so here's a man who's been trained, he's... he's been called to be an apostle. And again, the early church at this time, just like we talked about before, this is a church that's being filled with new believers, new converts, and there are very few people to instruct them. One of the first things that Paul did everywhere he went was he rose up people that were able to teach the new converts, right? And so Paul is raising up people. And here's an, here's a man that's being raised up. His name is Apollos. And, um, um, let's see, verse, uh, okay, but he was only acquainted with the baptism of John. What was the baptism of, uh, baptism of John? It was baptism in water, right, for <coughs> repentance, right? But we know that the, the early church and the apostles had experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right. So here, Apollos, Apollos was, uh, he was, he was, he was taught about the baptism of John, the baptism of repentance for your sins and being washed and stuff like that, but he had not been taught in the, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. verse, uh, verse 26, And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla, and again it names Priscilla before Aquila, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they, not just he, but they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Wow. You see that? And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So here this is in, in, um, in the early church, this powerful, this new up-and-coming preacher who, who became the, an apostle, right? Mm -hmm. Apollos. And he was, he, was, he, was, he was skilled in the Word of God. He was bold for his faith. He taught people correctly the Word of God. And he had to be kind of brought to the side by Priscilla and Aquila and taught the right way. Right? And easily he could have, if, if it was wrong for Priscilla to teach, he, they, she would have just been eliminated from that scenario and it would have just been 
Aquila took him aside and explained to him the way of God miraculously. Yeah. And, and go up and look at verse 18. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Sincrea he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. So again, Priscilla and Aquila were traveling companions of Paul. They were related him to, to him, and he were, he were, they were people that he highly esteemed. And Paul doesn't say a word about, you cannot teach Apollos. He did not say a word about, okay, um, Aquila, it's fine for you to teach him, but it's not fine for you to, for Priscilla to teach him, right? Were were you going to say something? No, you said 1 Corinthians, and it was Acts, and so she was like shuffling over there, and she finally whispered where, and I was like, Acts. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. I was waiting for you to pause. So yeah, that was Acts chapter 18. (laughs) I saw her mouthing it. That's that's Acts chapter 18. Basically, verses 18 through uh, 28 and stuff. So again, and this is not something that Paul wouldn't have known about. Paul was a shepherd to the sheep. Paul was he called, Paul called these people his children, right? He was acquainted with the things that were going on in the church. The Bible says um, you are to know uh, the flock that you shepherd and stuff. And so... Paul knew Priscilla and Aquila. They weren't people that didn't, they had a church in their house. It's obvious that Priscilla wasn't someone that just sat by and let her husband do all the teaching, wasn't someone that just sat by and was just, uh, you know, wallpaper or something like that. But she was intimately involved with the apostles, the things of the apostles, with the teaching of the apostles. And she, with Aquila, taught Apollos, an apostle, more properly the things of God. And nobody ever said anything about her. And Paul was traveling companions with these people. Paul never said anything. So we see several instances of women teachers. We see several instances of churches and women's houses. People that Paul calls, uh, women that Paul uh, spoke of as apostles and things. And, um, And so, again, if we take that one scripture and we lift it out, then it's disagreeable. Deeper, and I need to find something that seems like a solution to me. Mm-hmm. I need to, and it's not again based on what I want it to be, how I feel it should be, or anything like that. It's based on what do the other scriptures say? What does the rest of scripture? Scripture is like a diamond; it's got facets, and you're not going to really get the whole picture until you turn it around and look at it from different angles. It's like. We used to do a lot of hiking and stuff. And the first thing I learned about when you're going hiking out in the wilderness is look backwards, right? Because say like you're going five miles this way and then you've got to find your way back to your car. If you've not looked backwards, you don't know what it looks back like going the other way. And it's a whole nother perspective, right? And so when you're out hiking, just a good general rule is look backwards sometimes. Look and see how it looks when you're coming the other direction. Well, the Word of God is like that too. You have to look at it from other directions. You have to dig into it. You, it's not just laying there on the surface. You have to dig into it. And you can't just always take scriptures at face value. Otherwise, you're gonna, we're all going to start greeting each other with a kiss whenever we meet. Right? The women are going to start wearing coverings on their heads when they prophesy. And men cannot wear a covering on their head when they prophesy. Right? And so, you know, and... and, and the people that say, well, I don't allow women to, ch- to teach in church, but they allow women to teach their kids in the Sunday schools, uh, to me, that's not being consistent, mm-hmm. right? 
Because if it means it in one place, it means it everywhere. And if a woman is not allowed to speak in church, then my woman, my wife cannot say another word ever in church. Right? And certainly if she's got a question to ask, you can't do it here. You're going to have to wait till we get home. We'll be in the car driving home. She'll be like, oh, no. You're going to have to wait till we get home. Right? I mean, because that's what it says. Right? So, and, and again, I'm, we're not trying to make Scripture into something that we want it to be. We're not trying to make it into something that it's not. What we're trying to do is I'm trying to see, I'm trying to see the consistency in it. And I know it's not consistent where Paul says a woman can prophesy here, and then he says, but I don't allow a woman to prophesy. Something's wrong there. Yeah, because yeah. he says in, ver- in chapter 11, every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. And as he goes on, he never says the woman that's prophesying can't prophesy. It's just telling her how she should do it, the proper way to do it. But then in verse, like chapter 14, he says that she can't speak in the church. So that's a total contradiction. And you can't Stephen prophesy saying, without speaking. Right. You can't prophesy without speaking. So um, something's very wrong with that picture. All right. Luke 10, chapter 38. And again, if women can't speak, teach, then Priscilla can't teach Apollos. Yeah. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now again, we're looking at a situation where women were not taught the things of God. Women didn't need to be taught to God. Uh, the Pharisees, uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they would pray every day, God, I thank you that I was not made a woman. And, uh, and to them, a woman was just a possession. She was nothing more than that. And in uh, Luke 10, verse 38, it says, Now as they were traveling along, he, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Now, we just read this scripture, you know, and we just read over it, you know, okay, there's a woman sitting at Jesus' feet, no big deal. Why? Because that's our culture, that's our situation. In our culture, in our time, in our situation, it's no big deal for a woman to go to church. It's no big deal for a woman to listen to a teacher and stuff. In their time, it was revolutionary. Because that phrase, sitting at a, that, that concept of sitting at a rabbi's feet, and learning from him, women did not do that. That was set aside for the men. Only men sat at the rabbi's feet and learned from him. Right? And so, again, we read this and it's like we don't even understand. We don't, we don't get the picture of it. We don't get the impact of it because we don't understand their culture. We don't understand their times. And Martha but, was basically saying, like, Mary, she was understanding her own culture. And she's like, what the heck are you doing, right. Mary? Right. Martha like, didn't understand. you're not supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to be doing the dishes. You know, like, and so even Martha didn't get it. And Jesus at that point could have said, oh, you're right, Martha. She should be in the kitchen doing dishes. But instead, he rebuked Martha and said she's doing that, which is good. Right. In verse 40, he says, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. In other words, serving the men like all the women should be doing. They should be serving the men, having babies, barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen, right? Yeah. It says, and Martha said to him, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? And tell her to help me. And then the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, 
but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. So when Jesus stepped on the scene, and again, we talked about it over and over, that God's original intention was that male and female were equal in Christ. There is no Jew, no Greek, no male, no female, but there is in the home, there is, there is authority. There is in all aspects of, of society authorities. There are authorities in our government. There are authorities in our churches that we submit to, but we submit to willingly, and it's not like something that they put us under their thumbs or anything like that. But as far as stature, men and women were created equal, right? And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he begins to liberate women, and it's blowing the people's minds. Right. It's just like the Samaritan woman when, the, when Jesus is ministering to the woman at the well. His disciples were somewhere else. They come up. They were amazed and said, Lord, why are you speaking to a woman? It blew their minds because they had never seen a rabbi taking time out of his schedule to teach a lowly woman. Again, and it was women that first went and told about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. What is the main part of the resurrection from the God? The, what is the main part of the gospel? It's Jesus raising from the dead, right? That is the heart. That is the crux. That is the meat. That is the power of the gospel. That this man died and he rose again. The first people that went and proclaimed Jesus' resurrection from the dead was women. Mary yeah. and Martha at yeah. the grave, right? Yep. And stuff, and so Jesus began a thing of liberation. Now, liberation always takes time. It's just like two a hundred years ago, slaves were liberated in this country, but we're still dealing with the effects of that, mm -hmm. and they're still not completely free in a lot of areas, yep. right? Because it's one thing to, on paper, say you are free. It's one thing to say, okay, you, you're you're liberated, you're free, and stuff. But it's another thing for a society to enact it, and a society to get behind it, and a society to believe it. It's the same thing as when Lazarus, Jesus, we all know the story, Lazarus was in the grave four days. Jesus comes to the grave and says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came forth, and it says, but he was still bound in his grave clothes. And that's the thing. A lot of people, a lot of the church, a lot of sometimes our own thinking, we've been resurrected, we've been born again, we've been saved from our sins, but we're still bound in the grave cloths of the old mindset, of the old mind. And that's why the Bible says over and over that we are to renew our mind with the washing of the water of the word. And so there are so many things that we've been taught. There are so many things that have been ingrained in us. There are so many things that we accept to be true because that's what we've always been taught and we've never discerned it. We've never looked at it to say, well, maybe I'm wrong <coughs> and stuff. And it's not until we begin to take the word and really delve into it and really dig into it and see what it's saying. And when that word, the Bible says, what does the Bible say? The truth will set you free? No, it says you shall know the truth then the truth will set you free. Truth is only truth. Truth is not anything until you believe it, until you receive it, until you know it, and until you apply it. Other than that, it's just words on a page. This Bible, you can take this book and burn this book. It means nothing. But when you take this book and you meditate on it and you get into it and you understand what the nature and the heart of God behind it, then it sets you free. Yeah. It breaks your chains and it breaks your shackles. Yeah. And again, the early church was dealing with all these things. God is setting these people free. In, in uh, 
Philemon, the book of Philemon. What is the book of Philemon about? It's the book that Paul wrote to the uh, to Philemon about how you are to treat your slave. Now, if you're to read the Bible, the Bible nowhere says that slavery is wrong, right? There's, you can't show me one scripture in the Bible that says that slavery was wrong. Matter of fact, there are a lot of people that call themselves Christians, that call themselves God followers, that believe in slavery today. But it's only because they, they don't take all of scripture and tie it together and see the heart behind the scriptures. And God may have allowed slavery, but that was not his intention. It was his, his intention was that all men are created equal. Right? There is no Greek, there is no Jew, there is no slave, there is no free, there is no male, there is no female. There are not all these systems. These are all things that mankind has created because of the fall, because we want to oppress somebody, or because we need to control somebody, or we need to put everything in these neat little packages where we can control them, and that was not the mind, that was not the intent of God in the Garden of Eden. And so when Jesus stepped on the scene, he was bringing back man to the intention of the original intention. Just like you said before, when Jesus stepped on the scene, it was the recreation of the Garden of Eden. It was that whole thing where Adam had fallen, where Adam had failed, Jesus succeeded. And Jesus restored, and Jesus is returning us back, and it's for us to find out what he's trying to say. Amen? Yeah. Um. Let's see. Speaking of that, which, can we go back to the chapter in Genesis that you covered last week just to go over that one time? Okay. So uh, Genesis 1. Chapter 2, starting, wasn't it? 1 starting in verse 26. Okay. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. Do you mind if I read it? Verse 26. Okay. Can I, I feel bad. Yeah. Okay. Please do. Then God said, let us Wait, wait, wait. Where are we at? 126. Okay. One, one, one. <laughs> Genesis 1 verse 26. Says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea. Okay, so he doesn't say let the yeah. man. Okay, so let when, the, when he's talking about man here, he's talking about man, both male and female. Right, which it says. Yes, right. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, both male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every living thing that moves on the earth. So God clearly created man and woman in his image, and he clearly assigned both of them to have rule and authority together. Yeah, and we know immediately following the fall, in, in the in the Garden of Eden, immediately everything just went haywire, right? Men started following idols. Men started following um, uh, their own lustful passions. We all know about Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the Tower of Babel and things. And so men immediately started going farther and farther away from the original intention of God. Men and women. <laughs> well, mankind, yeah, right? Mankind. And so, again, when Jesus stepped on the scene as the second Adam, he... he began to restore all that yeah. okay yeah. and here's the thing okay now but can I ask you a question yeah. do you think do you think we are wired that way that we need to worship something or that we need to idolize something because they didn't have the word back then so why were they idolizing yeah 
You know what I mean? Well, like like when Moses went up to the mountain, mm -hmm. right away they, 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 they felt like helpless. And <coughs> they felt that they needed a leader or something to worship or follow. And that's when they built the golden goat. Yeah. So, th that's a question that I have for you. Do you think yeah, we are definitely created to worship. We are so, definitely created to, to worship. And I'm trying to find it, but there's a scripture. Oh, here we go. Uh, in Genesis 4, verse 25, it talks about, you know, uh, when Cain slew Abel or whatever. It says, Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth, to Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. In this scripture right here, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. You see that? And what's interesting about the Old Testament is in the Old Testament, you always see a line. There's a line from Adam that passes all the way straight through to Jesus of a line that, that continued to follow God, continued to seek God, continued to desire to know God. There's always been that line, but then there's a bigger line that diverts and goes away from God and, and goes into idol worship and goes into self-seeking and mm -hmm. worship of self and worship of all this stuff. And, and so, um, yes, it's always, man is a religious creature. And, I, and when I say that, we always think of religion as a bad thing. When in James 1, it says there, there's a religion that's pure and undefiled before God. And that's to take care of orphans and widows and all that kind of stuff. So religion in itself is not a bad thing. It's, it's, uh, but where is the emphasis? Where is the heart of it? And so, yes, man is a religious creature. We are designed, we are created to seek something outside of ourselves. Now that something is God. But the problem is, is, is a lot of us, uh, like we were talking about earlier, we want to have our, our sins. It's like, I, I don't, it's like all false religions for the most part. We can have, we can still maintain our sins. We can still glorify ourselves. We can still gratify our fleshly desires and yet have religion at the same time. Right? And so, yeah, I mean, even atheists are religious in some senses in that they're like, they have a, a religion of, of not following God, you know, right. and stuff. But it's, you know, uh, we all, just like Bob Dylan said, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, the Bible makes it clear that everybody has that knowledge of God in them. So right. they call themselves atheists. They're intentionally suppressing it. Right. And so mm -hmm. the problem is, is that man wants to make God in his own image. And so man wants yeah. a God that will be okay with whatever his bent is that he wants to do so he tries to recreate God to be okay with whatever it is he already has in his heart to do so that's so cool if you think about what you just said like we want to create God in our image but the whole point is he created us in his image yeah that's crazy and so to bring it back around it's like okay say you've got a think of people like Mother Teresa um Catherine Booth um Women who felt like in their hearts they had a call to serve God. They had a call. Um, I've, I've known women who have a leadership calling where their husbands don't. 
I've known women that felt like God is calling them to minister. God is calling them to reach out. God is calling them to use the gifts that he has put in their heart to teach other people. Now, we teach that, well, that's okay for a guy. But if you're a woman, it's not okay. But, but you don't have those desires in yourself. Mm. Right? Yeah. Left to ourselves, there's no good thing within me. So if there is a desire in your heart to follow God, if there is a desire in your heart that sure, to awesome. glorify God, if there's a desire in your heart to see people one to Him, and what's, what's you know, imagine people like, uh, again, Mother Teresa, and, okay, I don't completely go into the Mother Teresa thing because there was the Catholicism and, and stuff like that. I'm just using that as, as an example. But think of a woman, Elizabeth Elliot. Women who have laid their lives down. Corey Ten Boom. Heidi Baker. Heidi Baker. Uh, you know, women who who got this vast knowledge of who God is, and they wanted all they want to do is share that information with God or with with people. Um, think about if these women lead hundreds of people to the Lord. These lead men and women. These women lead one person to the Lord. Someone, so when they right. die and they stand before God, now, is it not true that none of us are perfect? Yeah. Is it not true that none of us know everything? Yeah. And with every single one of us, there are things that we think we know, but we don't know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so when these women stand before God, is he going to say, well, my scripture says that a woman can't teach. And even though you led all these people to me, even though... By your works, people were saved, people were delivered, people were set free, people were fed and clothed and, and blessed and set free and stuff, so, but you can't come into heaven. Can I make a comment on Mother Teresa? Um, the people that think women shouldn't teach and shouldn't have a voice in the church should be 100% for Mother Teresa. Yeah. Because she saw problems with the church. She didn't like the gold and the richness of Rome. She had concerns about the Bible, the way she read it. And so she had all these conflicts within herself. But she obeyed the church and followed the leadership yeah. of the church. So people yeah. who have a problem with her, I mean, <laughs> are usually the same exact people that have a problem with women you know that think that they should submit and stuff mm -hmm. and that they shouldn't teach and yet mm -hmm. that's exactly what she did you know yeah. she stayed with the church followed the leadership even though she had some deep concerns you know within herself about what she read right and so she was following in her own life mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. the bible said mm -hmm. that's good mm -hmm. so john three sixteen is the heart of god For god so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God's goal, God's desire, is for every man, woman, and child on this earth to be reconciled to him. First and foremost, mm -hmm. above everything. Yes. So, if a woman is wrong, and she's doing those things, if people are coming to know him, we're all wrong. And some things, right? Mm -hmm. We all believe wrong things, you know, and it's our goal, obviously, as believers to 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 uh, get rid of everything that we that we believe that's wrong. 
and to, to grow more and more and more into the likeness of Christ. But my point is, is that God delights in salvation of people. In the Old Testament, uh, Balak was instructed by his jackass. Right? Mm -hmm. In the New Testament, in Philippians, it talks about how people were preaching the gospel out of impure motives. And Paul said, I, it doesn't matter to me that the gospel is being preached from impure motives, only that the gospel is being preached. Mm -hmm. It is in the heart of God, more than any other thing, that people get saved, that people get delivered, that people get set free, that people are transferred from the kingdom of darkness <coughs> in the kingdom of his son. And if it's wrong that a woman is doing that. Which is, which is more wrong? A woman that is leading people to Christ or a guy that's sitting on his butt doing nothing? Right. A guy sitting on his butt doing nothing. Exactly. And so, it blesses the heart of God when, whenever anyone's seeking to bring people into the kingdom. Flat out, period. Whether it's male, whether it's female, the Bible says there is no difference between male or female, Jew or Greek, uh, uh, slave or free, and stuff. And again, to me, this makes more sense. It adds <coughs> up together. It completes the rest of Scripture, and it ties in so much better than taking this Scripture and saying a woman's not allowed to teach, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Um, my belief is, and again, you guys search the scripture for yourselves. Be Bereans, study it for yourselves, see what God speaks to you. But my belief, my contention is that we have just simply misunderstood that scripture. Mm -hmm. All right? Yeah. So I just want to pray. Father God, your word is pure. Your word is tried in a furnace. Your word, you have exalted your word even above your name, Lord. And, Father God, we lay our, um, our preconceived notions, we lay our desires, we lay our flesh at the cross, Lord God. And we just ask that you would instruct us by your Holy Spirit. And, Father, anything that I may have spoken wrong, I pray that you would teach your people. And we just, uh, Father God, if it's, uh, Lord, we just ask that your word would instruct us, that your spirit would instruct us. And that you would make us more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for all the things that you've given us. We thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.